Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, everyone. It's Casper. And Vanessa. And this week's episode comes live from San Francisco. As with any live show, there'll be some bits that are edited out for clarity, and you'll hear some ads dropped in here and there just to keep you company. <laughs> and if people are laughing at something and you don't understand why, it's because Casper dropped his pants. <laughs> Again? Yeah. Every time. <laughs> We're recording this ahead of time. I'm just guessing what will happen. Enjoy the show, everyone. Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory. By order of the Ministry of Magic, Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor, has replaced Albus Dumbledore as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The above is in accordance with Educational Decree Number 28, signed Cornelius Oswald Fudge, Minister of Magic. I'm Caspar Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, the, the live show! <laughs> Hello! Hi, everyone. Hi. Okay. Okay, we get it. You're adorable. We get it. Okay. 
Welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for welcoming us to the Bay. It's, it reminds me of England. Rainy. Uh, do you want to introduce our wonderful co-host? Oh, I would love that. So furthest from me is the great, the good, the person you will appreciate more than ever tonight, Ariana Nettleman. And then closer to me here is our composer and musician, the okay and fine, <laughs> Nick Bull. And later on in the show, you're going to meet our fabulous special guest, Tara Nicole Nelson. Welcome, Tara. <laughs> and um, this evening, we are recording our episode live. I know. So you are all on the episode with us right now. It's pretty cool. Watch out. Ariana is a tough editor. It's true. That's so. true. Well, so for those of you who know the show, you know what comes first. And we're going to start today with a story. Yes. And Vanessa, it's your turn to tell one. Yes. Um, so I started dating my boyfriend of three years about three years ago. <laughs> Figured out that sentence in the middle of it. Oh. It, it was just, like, really easy, you know? Like, it just was, like, easy to chat with him. He was lovely. There were no games. And it was a really nice change because I had gone on... Ariana actually just said to me backstage, when we met, you were going on a lot of bad first dates. I handled that very well, though. I would text my friend Julia on my way to these first dates and be like, I feel like Harry walking through the forest to fight Voldemort. <laughs> walking to my own death. For those of you who dated, right? Like, right? That's what it feels like. Okay. But anyway, so I, I met Peter, and it was just, like, so easy and good. And then there was a Sunday morning where actually Nick and I used to work together. Um, I was a congregational chaplain at a little community center in Cambridge. And it was a Sunday morning. I was, like, getting ready to go to work. And I got a text from Peter saying, like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, tonight? Oh, my gosh, that would be, like me seeing him like four or five days this week. Like, this is getting pretty serious. And then I started spiraling and I was like, I haven't told him about my depression yet and I should probably tell him because like some people think it's a big deal and if he's somebody who thinks it's a big deal, I should tell him now and like not waste time on him and, and you know, and it would be fair if he thought it was a big deal because, you know, that triggers some people, right? And so I, I thought, I was like, I should be really strategic and deliberate about this and be really brave and say like, yes, I'll see you tonight and I, we will talk about it then. And instead what I texted him was, I have something to tell you and I think you might break up with me over it and I don't know if it's a big deal or not, but it might be a big deal. <laughs> and he texted back saying, okay, like, what is it? And so I texted, I have depression. And then sort of like went away from my phone, like, Ugh. you know, and like the three dots are coming up and they're going away. <laughs> and they're coming up and they're going away. And I was like, okay, um, what's it going to say? And I got the text alert. And the text said, do you want to come over for pancakes? That is the right response. And I went from being like, aw, to being like, no, you idiot. You know I have to go to work. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And so he was like, okay, um, I can make the batter and come over to your place and make pancakes. And I was like, yeah, that seems right. <laughs> and it, 
occurred to me that I don't think I was entitled to that response from him, right? I do think that like sometimes people with depression shouldn't, not shouldn't be with other people with depression, but we all have our needs and relationships and I'm not saying that anyone who would have a problem with being with me because I'm depressed is wrong. But I do think that when we're with our lifelong partner, we are entitled to that level of acceptance. To the like, I not only don't care, but can I bring over pancakes? Level of acceptance. And I'm interested because there are certain things that we all agree that we should be entitled to, right? We are all entitled to clean water. We are all entitled to love. There are things that I think we would all agree that we are entitled to. And yet so much entitlement is also so ugly. And we see a lot of the ugly side of entitlement in this chapter. So I'm excited to talk to you about that today. And yes, that is Peter sewing a hole in my dress. (laughs) I completely affirm, obviously Vanessa and I were friends when said dating was happening. And when she started talking about Peter, you could tell it was different. So I'm, I'm team Peter. Uh, <laughs> but there's no team Peter. There's only team Casper and team Vanessa. Oh, oh, what a transition. In the 30 second recap. <laughs> Why she gets paid the big bucks. Um, and usually, you know, we do the 30 second recap in the studio and Casper and Vanessa are competitive about it. But there's no real yeah. winner. Good. But we're a team that believes in winners, so tonight there will be a competition. It's right. war, Zoltan. Vanessa, if you want to count Casperin. Not particularly, no. <laughs> but I will. Are you ready? Yes. On your mark. No, good luck, girl. Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> On your mark. Get set. Okay, so Umbridge has made this new announcement. She is the new headmistress. Oh, my God. Um, The twins are causing chaos. They've created these firecrackers that, like, split into two when Filch tries to, like, stick a broom in them and it goes alight. Um, And then um, Harry has to um, go um, to... uh, Oh, God. um, To Snape's dungeon. But then Draco's, like, first he took points off because there's now an inquisitorial squad. Then he pulls Snape away and then goes into the memory. And James, his dad, is an awful, awful teenager. And Lily and Snape... Have a moment. Yeah. I've left some space for you to fill in. No. No. For those of you who haven't read the chapter, no need now. I, you're welcome. Are you feeling good? Yeah. Okay. Hit it. Three, two, one, go. So Umbridge is really high on all this new power that she has, and Filch is really excited that Peeves is going to be expelled, and then um, Harry doesn't have to do Occlumency, but he goes into the pensive, and that is where he sees Snape's worst memory, and what it involves is a big test, and you get to see Sirius, and you get to see Lupin, and you get to see James, and then you get to see Lily, and then um, and James clearly has a crush on Lily, and Snape calls Lily a bad word, and James is like, how dare you, and Snape is like, don't get involved, and then there's this like big love triangle moment, and Harry's very, very Pointed that his father's a jerk. I love how um, James calls Lily Evans. I know. Yeah, that's cute. Well, and that he's like writing L E on his paper with little. So cute. That is the one moment that he is cute in that scene. (laughs) Yes, I was raised in the 90s where we glorified jerks by one cute moment. (laughs) That's what we. 
my whole childhood. It's true. Before we move on, is there anything you know you missed? Nope. Um, well, yes. Cho, Cho and Harry have a yeah. moment. Um, Cho wants to kind of discuss Marietta's, um, you know, revelation about Dumbledore's army, and Harry is not having it. And then, you know, she's not only lost a friend, she's now lost her crush. So both of them are very upset. I love when all the teachers come out into the hallway for Umbridge and is like, we didn't know whether or not you would have wanted us to help with the big spectacle of stuff. And that's like, oh, that's the problem with not building a coalition. Correct. Yeah. Oh, not only can we write a book on failed pedagogy, but we could do like failed authoratorial regime-ology at Hogwarts. we want to teach people how to do better dictatorships. <laughs> I don't know why. Did you, um, did you touch on his dream? Oh, yes. Oh, that's right. Oh, um, Harry has a dream when he really, he gets further down the hallway than ever, and he knows that he really wants something, or someone really wants something, or someone really wants someone. <gasps> then he gets woken up. Yeah. <sighs> Vanessa, you mentioned that there's a lot of negative entitlement in this chapter, um, and I'm interested in where you see that, and specifically I'm interested in the question of like what makes entitlement so negative for us in our conception of it. Because as you point out in your opening story, a lot of what entitlement is about is a right to something. And we certainly believe that we have rights to a lot of really positive things, but usually when you hear the word entitlement, sometimes with the word millennial, um, <laughs> it points to, to something we generally dislike. And I'm wondering, why is that? What is it about the nature of entitlement? Is it something to do with like our ethic of hard work as Americans? Do we think that like if you haven't worked hard enough, then you don't deserve for what what you have? Um, let's start with Umbridge in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. Solid, solid place to Your start. Your favorite and mine. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that her. There are several examples of it. She feels entitled to the truth from Harry, and so she is going to do whatever she can to get it out of him, including try to trick him into drinking this cup of tea with Veritas serum. And I think that when somebody is acting entitled to something from you, it, as it does, immediately puts up Harry's defenses, and he, like, pulls a Casper and sort of, you know, drinks his tea like this. Whereas if you don't feel entitled to somebody else's truth, I think that they are more likely to give you the truth, right? And, I, you know, we talk about this a lot in terms of profane and sacred, that a text is sacred, we say, if two people can look at it and two reasonable people can have two totally different points of view on that sentence. And it's profane if there's only one meaning, right? And I think Veritas Serum is a way to get a profane Ooh. truth out of someone. So when we feel entitled to something, I think that you get sort of a profane thing from them. Whereas if you don't feel entitled to it but approach it humbly, then you get a sacred truth, right? A more complicated truth. Can I point to another place where I see Umbridge yeah, absolutely. being yeah. entitled? Because the, the bit that really struck me in this chapter is that she says... Um, one of the questions she's asking Harry is, where is Sirius Black? And Harry is now lying, saying, like, I don't know, I don't know. And she's like, I know you were communicating with him because, um, you know, it was through the fireplace. And she says, I'm having every fireplace watched, except my own, of course. 
And that was the moment where I was like, oh, that helps me see something about entitlement, which is that I'm different, that I get special rules because mm, I'm fabulous. Um, but that, that there's something in, in some way that I think I'm different or special when I'm actually not. That helped me understand what entitlement is about, is that it's not a level playing field. I love that distinction. Because if she really had nothing to hide and really believed in an ethic of transparency, exactly. and she would say, of course, mine too. Look at my tax forms too. Release the but, Mueller report. Right. Yeah. But... Um, but instead, she obviously doesn't. She right. feels entitled to a special type of treatment. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that leads to my follow-up question for you, Vanessa, which is, like, you talk about approaching things humbly. Do you think that we should approach all things humbly, or do you think there are certain things that we can approach in the way that Umbridge approaches things? I do not think we should approach all things humbly. I lived in New York for six years, and I think my favorite thing that happened to me the whole time I lived in New York... Um, is I was sitting on the subway reading a book and I suddenly saw this like tiny like four-year-old hand use my thigh to get up on the seat and sit down and just keep talking to his dad. And I was like, yes, you are a four-year-old. You are entitled to my thigh to get up on a seat. That is correct. The world is not built to, for your size. And like, I do think like kids should feel sort of entitled to help from adults, right? And so I think that um, when there's a power differential... When it is a basic need of yours being met, then I don't think humility, I don't think that the people of Flint, Michigan should humbly be requesting their water, right? Like, I think that that is just like something that they are entitled to and they like Umbridge should be like, give me my water. So interesting. So what I hear Casper saying is that when there's a power differential in someone's favor, like Umbridge has a lot more power in Hogwarts. She is not entitled to more because she has more power but people who have less power are entitled to more. Okay, so let's complicate that. Yeah. Because Harry is left alone in the room with Snape's memory. Now, there's a power differential. Snape is a teacher. He's a member of the Order. He's older. He's a more powerful wizard. And Harry does something which I would say is enormously entitled and massively invades the privacy of, of this professor. Surely that's not excusable, but it's such a good story. I, I feel like we'd be missing out if he didn't. <laughs> um, okay, but he's not entitled to Snape's memory because Snape's memory isn't the same as clean water. Correct. He doesn't need it to survive. He doesn't need it for anything. That kid needed to get up on the seat, and so I think was entitled to my thigh. But, like, Harry doesn't need this memory he didn't, like, take my thigh. I still have my thigh. <laughs> Entitled well, to using my thigh. Maybe thighs. that helps us oh, understand that, yeah, it yeah. as well, right? Like, no. sometimes, right, like, your thigh is still just fine. Yes. But there are other times. In fact, it was like, no. It was kind of a, a nice thing for yeah, your thigh. Yeah, In your thigh's, like, memory box. It was like, ah, oh, yes, that four-year-old. I was useful. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think in, in that case, right, with your thigh, like, it's totally fine to share it. You're not losing anything in that case. But there are things where, like, some people have to pay more tax so that other people can have better housing, for example. And like, that's, that's where there is like a win-loss, which I, which I feel is like a different thing. Yeah, mm. I mean, it depends on what level we're talking because 
Because like everybody wins when people have better houses because our fates are all tied together and right like yes. all that, which I know you think too. Yes. But right, those are I do think that that is when we call things entitlements though in a negative way, right? When it's coming at the expense of me. So like social security is not something that we think of as like a negative entitlement because everybody gets it, whereas we think of things as entitlements when they're takers. Mm. For people listening to the podcast at home, I did quote marks <laughs> um, but and givers. This quote is really interesting because we don't call them entitlements in England. That's a very American language to describe what really is like fundamental human rights. Agreed. Um, so yeah. I guess I guess we don't like entitlements when people aren't actually entitled to the thing and they're act, acting entitled to it. Profound. I know. <laughs> Can I just tell my story for why I was inspired, like what, why I wanted to talk about this theme? Yeah. It would be weird if you said no. I'm sorry I asked that. Because, like, in the studio, she'd be like, no, that's not interesting. And now I'm sorry. Um, I was listening to how many people listen to The Daily, right? Yeah. And Trump had that really long interview with The Daily and um, with the New York Times Daily podcast. And he said to The New York Times, he said, I am a hometown boy, I am from New York City. Aren't I entitled to a positive story in your paper? And I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, and I felt like I got so much insight into him. I was like, you actually think that. You actually think you are entitled to a positive story in a paper. And I do think that there's something about like, if you believe that everybody is entitled to it, then it is a good entitlement. And if you think you're special like Umbridge or like Trump, then it is a bad entitlement. If you think anybody in my case, anybody who's from a hometown and is now president deserves a positive story, then it's like a good entitlement. But I don't think he would. Hillary Clinton was from New York and right, like I don't think he would think she was entitled to it. Yeah. Harry knows that he's not entitled to this because Snape is constantly trying to break into Harry's thoughts and memories and Harry hates it and is like, I don't want to go to Occlumency and yet he now goes and turns around and does the same thing to Snape. Okay, give me one more place that you see entitlement in this chapter. Well, I mean, I feel like we have to talk about the memory, right? We see James and Sirius act, especially James, act in, in, in an incredibly just really sad way. Um, the way that in which he engages Sirius, the way that he's like, I'm just James. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> throwing, yeah, catching, yeah. throwing, catching. Are you looking at me? Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, like he, fe- he, there's clearly a lot going on, but he feels clearly very entitled to everyone's attention, like, or at least he's, he's trying to gain it. And, and the whole engagement with Snape is to show off, right? He wants to show off how good he is. There's something about James that we see which is just extremely entitled in the way that he's nasty, in the way that he's putting others down, the way that he's demanding everyone's attention. Can I counter it with a Snape is entitled? Yes. This chapter, for the first time, this is my fourth time reading the books or so, and this was the first time that I left this chapter with a better opinion of Snape than a worse. Mm. That's because I think he lashes out at Lily because he feels entitled to lash out at someone because he's being bullied, right? And I think, you know, it's a cycle of abuse. But what's amazing, what hit me for the first time is that I was like, oh, that's the reason it's Snape's worst memory. It's not because he gets humiliated. It's because he humiliates the woman he loves. I know. And once that occurred to me, I was like, oh, it made me appreciate Snape that his worst memory is a moment in which he is unkind. 
And I think it was entitlement, right? It was like, somebody is hitting me, and so I'm going to hit someone, right? And it was just an entitlement to pass the pain on, and that he regrets that feeling of entitlement. Do I wish he'd learned this lesson, used it better in his life? Yes. Um, I also think it's beautiful that this is in there as his worst memory. Mm. I'd never thought of it that way. That I is beautiful. Mm. You know. Great, thank you. I still hate Snape. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> FYI. Friends, it's time for our first spiritual practice. Uh, so tonight, for our first spiritual practice, we are going to do Pardes. Um, I was hoping for a bigger applause for Pardes, but that's fine. No, no, that's fine. Um, but the first thing we need, need your help with is picking which sentence. And so I would like someone from this third of the room to pick a number between... 550 and 573. I heard 575, which is outside of that. <laughs> but 555? Seventeen. Okay, so I would like somebody from the very back over here to pick a number between one and seventeen. I heard twelve. And now Casper is going to read us our sentence. He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. That's all you were doing earlier at the coffee (laughs) shop. (laughs) It was very wise, because I had poisoned it. <laughs> so the first step of Pardes... Oh, I should tell you what Pardes is. Pardes is a four-step Jewish reading practice, and Pardes means orchard. And so the idea is that the text is like an orchard, and that we can put our hand anywhere in the text or have people shout out numbers, and whatever it is that we grab will be juicy. And if we bite into it and engage in these four steps, we will glean some sort of really mystical deep meaning from the sentence together. And so we are going to go on this journey together. And the first step of Pardes is Pshat, in which we ask ourselves what the intended meaning of the sentence is. And so Casper, tell me one more time. He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. Do you, do you want to tell us the shot? Yeah, so we've kind of mentioned this little moment before. Um, Harry is in Umbridge's office. He's been pulled out just before the melee happens with the twins and their incredible magical fireworks. And she, Umbridge seems to be very insistent that Harry have a drink. Does he want butterbeer? Does he want a cup of tea? Harry says tea. And then she kind of busies herself with her back to him, making the tea and putting milk in, and we know also putting in Veritas serum. And he's now realized, hang on, this is a dangerous situation. So he puts the tea to his lips, doesn't drink the liquid, knowing that it's probably dangerous. Excellent job. Remez. Um, Remez is where, the way that we do Remez, we're trying to now put other stories in conversation with this sentence and put the sentence in context. And so in Remez, what we do and what many rabbis have done before us, um, before us rabbis, um, (laughs) is we pick one word from the sentence and we trace that word throughout all seven Harry Potter books and we see how that changes our understanding of the sentence. So Casper will read the sentence and then I would like someone from this section to yell out a word after he reads the sentence. He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. Cup. I heard an overwhelming cup. Okay. 
So where else do we see cups? The Triwizard Cup. Quidditch Cup. Quidditch Cup. Helga Hufflepuff's Cup. House the Cups. The House Cup. The Trelawney and her teacups. Oh, Trelawney yes. and her teacups, which Neville breaks. Harry's Cupboard. Oh. The Date with Cho. With yes. the teacups. Sorry, like I interrupted you up there. There's... A cups, lot of cups. Cups seem to be bringing, whether it's fortune-telling, um, sometimes it's a, a potion of support, sometimes it's danger. Sometimes it's celebratory, right? Like a, the House Cup, the Quidditch World Cup. Try Wizard, it's not quite celebratory, it's more <laughs> of a death sentence. Well, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag too soon. too soon for Cedric. Um, <laughs> the Goblet of Fire... <laughs> <laughs> Goblet of Fire. The Goblet. Never mind. Um. I'm thinking of the moment where the Weasleys are with Sirius and Harry waiting to hear if Arthur has survived. Or the, or the kind of, I don't know, I'm thinking of the British obsession with cups of tea. You know, any problem can be solved with a cup of tea. Yeah. Ron does that. Exactly. Ron makes a cup of tea. Yeah, when for does he Hagrid. do that? But who has he learned that from? Thank you, Molly Weasley. Yes. Okay, so cups are used as healing, as caring objects. I think that I really like this idea of a cup as like a vehicle for healing and care. We'll take a cup of kindness here. Like, there's some... I don't know what you're... No? No. Old Lang Syne? When um, we all cross... No. No, no, you cross, and then I hold it. This yeah, Jews don't do this. Okay. <laughs> It seems lovely. <laughs> In Scotland, they do. <laughs> <laughs> All those Scottish Jews. <gasps> yeah. Do you want to read the sentence again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're thinking about cups. We're thinking about cups as conduits of healing and as symbolic of victory, right? He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. Interesting. So the next stage, with that information, we will now move on to drosh. And drosh is where we ask ourselves, if this was our piece of liturgy that we got on Friday night or Sunday morning, what would we preach? What sermon would we preach based on this sentence and based on this process that we've gone through? Can you read it for us one more time? He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. You have something. Well, I, I suddenly just got a little biblical. Um, obviously, the Bible passage of, you know, don't let this cup pass me by, the Christian Bible. But of course, I've suddenly forgotten what that's about. Okay. Surely there's a minister in the room. He's about to get crucified. Yes. Th- that crucial bit in the story. Three years of divinity school, and this is the show that's being recorded. Oh, God. Ariana can edit it out. It's fine. But in that, right? uh, Okay, let's make a point here. Um, uh, What in, in that story, in that moment, Jesus is saying, like, let me be brave enough to walk into my fate, right? It's a sacrificial willingness. And so here, Harry is saying, like, no, sir, no, ma'am. I'm not going to sacrifice myself for Umbridge's information. The cup represents this choicefulness of, like, am I stepping into this or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But I don't know if that's quite a... A cup is invitation. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Ooh. What would, what would you want your parishioners to take away? Yes. For, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> in medieval times, ye old world, the, the way in which to ensure a kind of, you know, neighborly relations was to pour from the same... Thing to cups, right? So that you could see that no one was going to get poisoned. Also, the idea of like clinking glasses, the idea was that a little bit of your drink could fall into yours and a little bit of your drink could fall into mine. And so that was a way of ensuring mutual safety. Yeah. So drink together and you will be merry. That is Safe lovely. and merry. Yeah. yeah. How really about like you? Can you? Do you mind reading it for me one more time? Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that was not a fair setup. No. Um, he raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. Okay, let's see if I get somewhere with this. Um, I've spent hours of my life drinking pretend tea at pretend tea parties with little ones. <laughs> and so, like, there doesn't need to be anything in your cup in order to still be celebrating and to still be hmm. like cheersing, right? Like these things are gestures that I think are important even in times of sadness or times of hardship. There's something lovely about pretending that things are great even when they're not. And of course there's a time to acknowledge that things are not great and that that is important too. But I do think sometimes we can have good attitudes about almost nothing. Okay. Step four, the S in pardes um, stands for sowed, and sowed means secret. And the idea is that the text holds secrets for us if we simply open ourselves up to the possibility. So Casper is going to read the sentence for us one more time. Nick will play some beautiful music for us. Can you make it beautiful this time, please? Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Nick will play some beautiful music for us. And um, we'll all just sit and we will see if a sowed emerges, if something wise, something true that we haven't thought of before emerges from the text and whispers a little secret to us. He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip. maybe landed in the street and didn't really land in my head. I'm sure something will be there. Uh, did a sode emerge for you? The thing that struck me this time was the word again, and I'd just gone on that very embarrassing Christological fail of saying that Harry was kind of the opposite of asking the cup to pass him by, right? He's, he's taking the cup to his lips. But the fact that he's doing it again, I suddenly saw a whole lot of agency in the sentence that Harry is not just uh, kind of like a victim of this veritaserum, but he is finding his way through and he succeeds. And so that there's something about like, like even when there is that kind of attempted poisoning that you can take the cup to your lips again and fool the person again. I don't know, there was, there was new agency yeah, yeah, yeah. for me for Harry in the sentence, which made me feel hopeful about people who have to navigate at the margins to like squeeze through with their with their cunning and and harry does yeah 
Harry reminded me of the way that I feel when I'm like in a new cultural situation and I'm like pretending to understand the social norms of a situation that you don't necessarily understand and how Harry is just always in those situations because he doesn't just get indoctrinated as you're a wizard, but you're not just a wizard, you're a celebrity wizard, you're not just a celebrity wizard, you're a celebrity wizard with a price on your head, you're not just, right, like, and it just, like, the rules just keep changing for him, and how adept he is at it, and I think that the so that emerged for me is, he can never stop noticing the different cultural norms and the ways that they're shifting, and I think that I start to act entitled and start to just act like my way is the way, when Mm. really I should probably be interacting more with the world the way Harry does. So thank you so much for doing Pardace with us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Well, this evening we're very, very excited uh, to be joined by my dear friend Tara Nicole Nelson. Come on up, Tara. Um, Yes, round of applause. Tara is a globally recognized transformation expert. She's a self-ascribed Buddhist black church lady uh, and a spiritual strategist, which I love. Um, She's the CEO of Soul Tour, which hosts the amazing uh, School of Upliftment. And if you want to write more, I highly recommend that you check out soultour.com. So welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, y'all. That was a lovely introduction, Casper, thank you. I will just add one thing, that I also consider myself an amateur doctor. (laughs) 
so that's just context because I'm going to tell you a medical TMI story today. Um, when I say I'm an amateur doctor, there's like a couple of different points of evidence of that. So first is, if anyone in the room needs like a minor surgery and can find a YouTube instructional video that shows how to do it, I got you. I got you. I'll let you girl. Um, and the other piece of evidence is that I've spent a lot of time in my life looking at the inside of my throat in the mirror. Those are the facts you need for context. Okay. All right. So a little while back, I had to go see a head and neck surgeon, actually, for something. And while he was looking in there, giving me a clean bill of health, by the way, I remembered something really strange that I had seen in all of my hours gazing down my own throat in the mirror. I asked him if he would please look at these weird little bumps that I had seen growing inside my throat. Now, I had asked my own general practitioner about them, and he had no idea what they were, but he said they were healthy tissues, so I didn't need to be worried about them. So the specialist like, looked, at, looked inside my throat, stepped back, and said, when did you have your tonsils out? And I said about, actually like 31 years ago. And he said, what you have here is a pretty rare case of tonsillar regrowth. So I would learn about tonsillar regrowth. That is a totally harmless and totally bizarre <laughs> phenomenon in which your tonsils actually make little efforts to grow back after you've had them out. The doctors think that this only happens if the original tonsil tissue was like not all the way removed. And they don't, you don't have to worry, they don't grow back to full size. In fact, my beloved has started calling them my tonsil nubbins, <laughs> which is not really a sexy thing to call them. <laughs> but think about that. Something that was natural and innate in my body was cut out with totally good reason, so no shade to my parents. <laughs> but that thing felt so entitled to have its rightful spot in my body that it is growing back, <laughs> like fresh and healthy three decades later. So I had two takeaways from this that I wanted to share. The first is that just the fundamental truth that your body is a stack of miracles. Your body is a stack of miracles. Its default wiring is that it's so entitled to wholeness and well-being that it will literally try to regrow pieces of it that were cut out. My takeaway from that that I want to share with you is that you are entitled to live a life of freedom from this cultural narrative that says that you must fixate on and be vigilant about and obsess about your body and manage it in order to have wellness or wholeness. That's just not true. So my tonsils wanted me to tell you that. The second takeaway is that what is inborn in you, the innate gifts and talents and dreams and desires of your heart, your creative callings, can never be totally cut out. Not by failures, not by age, not by a bad childhood, not by doubt, not by fear. You might think that you're too old or it's too late or you're too traumatized or too something to do the dream that's in your heart. But I invite you to try on the belief that all of the things you've been through in your life have just been preparing you. They've helped you get clear on what you don't want, which is actually the same thing as getting clearer on what you do want. They have thickened your skin and softened your heart. So my tonsils are basically the same thing as your dreams. <laughs> they never die all the way, and they are entitled to a chance to come back to life. 
So if you can accept that premise that your dreams and your creative desires are entitled to your time and attention and your resources and a chance to come to life, then you kind of kickstart what I like to visualize as a domino effect of awakening and unfurling. The next domino is freedom from self-judgment and self-criticism. The next domino is permission to bring 100% of yourself to the world, withholding less and less and less of yourself over time and then gradually withholding nothing. The next domino is radical acceptance. And then the final domino is like the deep allowing and affection and attention and appreciation and openness and warmth to yourself, making self-loving, self-expressive choices in every area of your life. So that last domino is what we call self-love, to which I think we are all entitled. I, I mean, you've made your tonsil nubbin sound sexy. I kind of, it's, it's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sprinkle sexy anywhere. <laughs> at church, including at church. Um, I just like wish Snape heard that. Mm. Right? Like I yes. wonder yes. if Snape heard yes. it rather than lamenting his worst memory of the cruelest he ever was and the time that he allowed his hurt to hurt the person that he loves most in the world instead of seeing that as this like great shame instead seeing it as thickening his skin and softening his heart right and using that to turn and continue to be even kinder um tara thank you so much for being here we love you thank you Oh, so good. I hate it when our guests are better than we are. (laughs) It's actually rude. (laughs) Fine. I mean, thank you. So, friends, it's time for our second spiritual practice. Yes. Who brought their books, by the way? Do we have books in the house? All the raven claws lifted their hands. Yes. Um, okay, yes, we've got... Hufflepuffs love their books too. Uh, okay, books for everyone. Our second spiritual practice is Florilegia. Yes. So uh, this is a Christian monastic practice um, where traditionally, as monks were copying out Bibles, uh, and especially the Psalms, if they were struck by a particular line of text, they might write it down in their own little piece of vellum or a little piece of paper. Um, And each day they might be struck by a different sparklet, a different little piece of text, and they would put them next to each other and kind of create a new text, a new sacred text with these different quotes from different places within the scriptures. And so Vanessa and I have both chosen a little sparklet from this chapter, which we're going to put in conversation with one another to see if we can find new meaning. So Vanessa, what is the sparklet that you found? Mine is Harry leaned forward over it and saw that it became transparent. Beautiful. What is yours? You wait. So tell us, where is your sparklet from? What's happening in the text? Yeah, so Harry leans forward over the pensive and puts the thing in it, and the memory becomes the water goo, the goo. 
becomes transparent. Those are technical terms. That is helpful. What about you? So mine is once we're in the memory and James has kind of attacked Sirius. Sirius is like lying on the floor and says, you, wait, as he's trying to scramble for his, for his wand. Yeah. Snape, what did I say? Did I say Sirius? Thank you, Snape. Correct. Why did you choose your piece of text? Um, because I think if you look over at something, it can become transparent, right? It can become clear to you why something is happening. And I think that sometimes you need to look more carefully. You need to look twice, but you need to look over it again before it will become transparent to you. And there are definitely relationships in my life that I need to look at again for them to become transparent. What about you, Casper? Why did you pick yours? I was really struck by, obviously, Snape in this moment wants to attack James. We see that, and he actually does. He draws blood. But I wonder if, if this is a situation where he's saying, you know, just you wait. If he knew what was going to happen to James, would he still say that? You know, is, is that hatred so deep? Is it so rotten? Has it, has it completely, you know, infected him that he would wish James to die? And I, do, I don't know. And I don't know. And I wonder if this is partly why he's so cruel to Harry in, in, in that, you know, he, he feels not responsible for James's death, but, like, this was a moment in which, obviously, he's so regretful about his own actions to Lily. But I wonder if now, looking yeah. back, is there some remorse? Is there some sense of, yeah. you know, shame? I, I don't know. So now we will put them in conversation yes. with each other and read it as if it's one continuous sentence and see if there's new juice to be extracted. So let me read them as if they are one sentence. Harry leaned forward over it and saw that it became transparent. You wait. Oh, well, he's waiting for it to become transparent. He's, if he could be talking to the goo. <laughs> I, I mean, I read it as like it becomes transparent and then if you wait it becomes transparent in another way, right? I think it's, our understanding of things is constantly changing, right? And so if you stare at something, you're like, now I understand yeah. my relationship with my mother. Yeah. And then you stare at it longer and you're like, now I understand my relationship with my mother. And then you stare at it, you wait longer, right? Or then you see your mother and then you're like, now I don't, don't understand, understand it again. <laughs> and then with distance, you're like, uh-huh. Uh -huh. Right, so, like, I think transparency, right? Like, you'll think something is transparent, and then you wait, and it becomes even more transparent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. I'm also thinking of, of the process of clearing our minds, right, of which the, the pen seed is such a beautiful analogy, right? Like, that practice of meditation, and that it, that it takes time to gain that kind of skill of clarity that you can just sit and watch the thoughts, I find that so hard. You know, like breathing, I can handle just about, right? Like awareness of breathing, that is. <laughs> breathing, I do manage most of the time. Uh, Quite well, actually. Yeah, actually gold star for me. Um, but yeah, there's, there's this really interesting relationship between our thoughts or our memories and the way in which when we wait, they change. I think that's, that's the kind of takeaway from this reading. Yeah. Should we try and put them the other way around and see if we learn something new? So now the sentence will read, you wait. Harry leaned forward over it and saw that it became transparent. So this to me speaks of like someone is trying to stop Harry from looking. It's like, you wait. And he's like, no, I'm going to look. And then it becomes transparent. And then it's like too late. And he saw it. 
I guess what that makes me think of is like there are things that you say and you're like, oh, can I just get that back? And it's like too late. I had an ex-boyfriend who read my diary. <gasps> we broke up straight after that. Um, <laughs> I, I do not know do this not, story. Really? Yeah. Okay, so does anyone know The Artist's Way? You know, that wonderful Julia Cameron book? Check it out. I really recommend it. One of the exercises in it is morning pages, where just like you might have a shower first thing in the morning to kind of wash your body, this is a practice to kind of just wash your mind, wash your, wash your thoughts. And so the, what the practice is, is to sit down and to write with a pen and paper, if possible, just three pages. It has to be full of text. It doesn't have to make sense. The words don't have to be in English, like what, obviously. But you know what I mean? Like, it, you just have to fill the page. Um, and so I had, like, a little notebook where I wrote down, like, must email Bill about financials. And then the next page was, like, unconscious writing about my then boyfriend. Um, oh, the story is not a good story. <laughs> I mean, I don't look that good. Anyway. Um, you had said things in I had there. said things in there. What you do when you're not, you know, thinking someone's going to read it. And then he read it. And then that was that. So I'm suddenly seeing that sense of like, you know, Harry's about to massively invade someone's He's privacy. He's about to read Snape's diary. Yes. Yes. And, and that sense of like, no, wait, not only for my good, but for yours. Yeah. Because you're not going to get anything from doing this. Right. It's not going to make you happy. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it's reminding me of. <laughs> Whoa. Bad. He's a good man. He's a good man. Is he? I, uh, I'm yeah. interested okay. in, the, in the way that you're reading You Wait. Every time you read it, Casper, you read You Wait. When in the text, it's a threat. It's like You, you Wait. And I'm wondering if you can get anything out of it reading Ooh. it in like kind of the threatening way that it is in the text. Yeah. You wait. Harry leaned forward over it and saw that it became transparent. <laughs> I mean, I do think that this Snape has been saying to Harry, like, you don't actually know who your dad was. Yeah, and it right, and that's sort of been a threat that he's been lording over Harry. And in this chapter, Harry learns things about his dad that he would rather not be learning. It makes me so glad that there isn't pensive technology. I don't want my kids to see what I was like as a teenager. But hello, social media. I mean, like, there is now... Wasn't really around until I was in college. <laughs> Being old is great. <laughs> True. But it does open that conversation yeah, about what, what do we have a right, you know, for other people to, to see, or what do we have a right to be forgotten, which is juicy. I really believe in the right to be forgotten. I think that's an interesting question of like what, what things do we owe in terms of our stories of our past, yeah. and you know, particularly to our children, as yeah. it is in this text. Um, the difference things... between a secret and a lie. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. I, that's like a thing. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, Friends, we've come towards the end of our show. And um, just like the the show, we're going to end with some blessings. And so we will, in a moment, invite you to perhaps turn to the person that you spoke to at the beginning of the show and share a blessing um, for someone in the pages of this chapter or these books, or if not in the books, anyone at all. Everyone deserves a blessing. Just find someone that you want to offer a blessing to and turn to your neighbor and share. And we'll bring you back in just a few moments. Thanks, everyone. Blessings are the best. Blessings are the best. Um, Ariana, do you want to bless someone this evening? I would love to. Um, I'm going to bless Peter Pettigrew. Controversial. Wow, supportive environment, people. I would like to hear about that, Ariana. In this chapter in the memory, we see them get out of a test, and Peter has struggled with the test, and his friends make fun of him. And then it becomes clear throughout the scene that the reason that they keep him around is because he has this reverent treatment of James. And I felt really bad for him in the way that they treat him. And I think Peter gets... The narrative that we have about him is that he is a bad friend who betrays them. And I think I see his friends be bad to him in this chapter. And I think I see his friends teach him how to be a servant to Voldemort. That he has learned that he has to follow along at the heels and be reverential, and that's the only way that you can be loved and be kept on the inside. Um. Do you regret hissing now? <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah, so I felt bad that the, no. the narrative is that he's a bad friend. When I, and, I, and, I'm, and I guess I'm blessing anyone... I think friendship is a two-way street, and I've been in situations where I've been told that I was a bad friend, and I think 
you know, like it's both. It's like I am a bad friend and we are, we are all doing this friendship badly. Um, and it is a group responsibility. That's beautiful. Thank you, Ariana. Yeah. How about you, Vanessa? I would like to bless Cho Chang. Um, Cho, Cho's boyfriend was killed, and now her best friend has betrayed her, I think, fairly inadvertently. I don't think that that was Marietta's intention. Um, and she's going to lose the boy that she likes over it. And I just think she does such a good job of, I mean, in reading their fight, Chosen Harry's fight, I was on Cho's side, right? She is trying to complicate a narrative, and she says what Hermione did was terrible, which I agree with. I mean, there are moments in our lives where we all feel this way, right? Where, like, we're just sort of losing everyone, and we haven't really done anything, but it just feels like we're losing everyone around us. It's a terrible feeling, and I, I think Cho stays so dignified, right? She doesn't desperately start cloying for Harry or anything, and so I just want to offer a blessing for her for staying so sure of herself in such a difficult, difficult time. Mm. What about you, Casper? Thanks, Vanessa. Um, I was going to bless Ernie McMillan, because he's super cute at the beginning. He's like, I believe in Dumbledore, he's fine. But, just go Ernie. Um, and his but, name is Ernie, <laughs> which I love. But I, just this conversation this evening has made me want to bless Snape. You know, I, I'm sure all of us had memories from times in our childhood where we were bullied or picked on or made to feel embarrassed or ashamed. And especially because with, as he's like hung upside down in midair and like his underwear is showing, like there's such a physicality in the shame that he feels. And I'm really inspired by Tara's story of like the worthiness of our bodies. And I, I feel like the way in which Snape is portrayed with this kind of hair in front of his face, the way in which he's kind of hiding in the shadows, he is enveloped by self-loathing. And there's something about this chapter where we really see how much I think that there's loathing in his in his physical body and I definitely have moments where I feel like that and I think as Tara was saying like our culture perpetuates this whole product lines whole industries which depend on our self-loathing um, and so for anyone who who is enveloped in that moment today or anytime I offer a blessing of as Tara said of belovedness and worthiness and I, I wish that for Snape now and for all of us, always. Yeah. So friends, that is our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're gonna hang out by the merch stand in just a little bit. Come get a t-shirt or a hat or some stickers. Feel free to stay around and chat with us and each other. Um, a huge thanks to Jeff and Kim for all their leadership here in the Bay Area. Come and talk to them to be part of the local group Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 29, Career Advice, through the theme of revenge. This... this oh, oh, yeah, no, that's this, you. No, but you... Okay. Yeah. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is a Not Sorry Productions production, executive produced by Ariana Nettleman, with editing support from Ariana Martinez. Our music tonight and always is by Nick Bull, and we are a proud part of Night Vale Presents. 
Special thanks to our tour manager, Meg Bashweiner, um, our special guest, Tara Nicole Nelson, the fantastic staff here at the Brava Theatre, Kathy, David, and Flora especially. Um, thanks to Maggie Needham, Danny Egan, Stephanie Purcell. I'm Casper Kyle. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Ariana Nettleman. And, and this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, the live show! Thank you!